You are in the Grotto Pod. I am in the Grotto Pod. Bridget, though she is under the weather, is mm. uh, above ground here in the Grotto Pod <laughs> with me. Uh, and soon we will be joined by none other than New York Times bestselling author Janelle Brown. Yay! Author of Watch Me Disappear, which was released a month ago at and debuted. I know, my God. At number 13 on the New York Times. So cool. Bestseller. You know, I was going to make a joke about being underground when you said Are you above going ground. Under, well, because Watch Me Disappear is a little bit of a thriller. It is a thriller. There's and a little bit of death and stuff. Yeah, and you know what's interesting? It's it's. I would say it's the first thriller that we've uh, had the opportunity okay, to I, discuss in here. I thriller don't usually read thrillers. I realized when I started reading it because it was one of those things where I was like, "Oh, damn it! I would have other things to do, it's but I wouldn't turner. want to." I know it's a total page turner. I couldn't stop. <laughs> Which is awesome. It's what you want. It is, and I'm really interested. So her first two books, uh, All We Ever Wanted Was Anything. which was everything. All We Ever Wanted Was Everything. I think it's anything. <gasps> Uh-oh, okay. Because All We Ever Wanted Was Everything is a David Bowie song. Uh, do those two things mean two different things, everything or anything? Well, we're going to have to check that, and we'll okay. ask her. <laughs> I, of course, I'm going to have to – what you don't know, listeners, is I, it may seem like a seamless transition between the time that we're speaking and then Janelle Brown is in here, but there'll be a little lag as I have to Google oh, yeah. her Google. first book to make yeah. sure that it is, in fact, called All We Ever Wanted Was Anything. Anyways, the reason why I bring that up, her second book was This Is Where We Live. Her first two books were sort of uh, satirical, yeah, little dark comedy action, yeah. a little comedic. I think she kind of – Switches gears here for book number three. Well, she goes back. So first book, title, uncertain, is set in the Silicon Valley. Second book in L.A., right. third book in Berkeley. Berkeley. So she's got the California thing rolling. Yeah. Uh, first book, also a New York Times bestseller. Oh, my second God. Book, is that incredible? It is incredible. Performance of the second book, uh, you know, a little bit disappointing to her, I, I've read. So a lot of pressure for this third book. I want to see. Uh, if, I don't know how she does it because I'm feeling stressed about my second book. Mm. I don't have a bestseller. I'm feeling, stress, feeling stressed by first, and I have to admit yeah. something to you as we sit here. Uh-oh. I, you know, as you may or may not go, listeners to my other podcast, uh-huh. Is It Good for the Jews? Mm-hmm. Know this, that I've been gone for the last 10 days or so, more like three weeks of just nonstop travel. And You haven't been it, writing. I haven't been writing. Neither have I. Last week, I haven't picked up, I haven't read it, I haven't written, I read Janelle's book. Uh, yeah, that's what I did, too. That was my, I, I kept telling myself, too, you know. Oh, it's going to be great. I'm going to be, I'm driving long distance every day. I'm going to finish. Yeah. I'm going to write. Yeah. In a little hotel room, just all lonely and stuff. Yeah. And then I thought, oh, I'm going to be at this beach house with a bunch of angry people. I'm going (laughs) to retreat into my room and write and it'll be awesome. I'll be looking out at the fog or the beach. I'm working. Excuse me. I'm writing. Yeah. Uh, but I didn't People do that People love that. I didn't do that either. I did no writing. Well, I... Not a word. What did I do? I sent my kid to college. That was stressful. Mm. And I went to the backwoods of Canada and picked up another kid. Also did not write mm-hmm. on that trip. Went to Washington, D.C. at a very difficult time, the weekend of Charlottesville. Did not write then. Mm. Um, I haven't written in a while. Yesterday, I sat at my desk for 10 hours. And I did you write? Did not oh. write. And here's the bad thing. I had a little system in place. I was mm-hmm. going to answer all the emails I'd missed in the last because I was traveling. Right, right. And get everything teed up. And then I was going to start writing at noon. At 6.30, I still had not started writing. And I had to go get my kid. Holy cow. Um, yeah. So that's my own fault. I didn't have good boundaries. But I really just <laughs> answered emails and dealt with that kind of stuff. You know, when you're, when you're on the move like you and I have both been, yeah. it's really easy to sort of detach. Yes, I got to admit to you, GrottoPod listeners, there was a lot of GrottoPod emails flying back and forth that you were good enough to engage with that I just kind of read. Did I? I feel like I missed a bunch you of them. You at least responded. I just read oh, them, noted. I had no service day. at all for three days. Ooh, and that's, that's part, a tough way to go. That's kind of you, a nice way to go. It was great, except that I was sick. And in well, the backwards of Canada, and Air Canada lost our direct oh, I flight did hear luggage, if you follow me on Twitter. And so I had no sleeping bag in Canada, and there were no hotel rooms. That sucks. I um, All I got for is that I listen to Malcolm Gladwell's podcast. That's the only Canadian connection I oh, can offer you today. That's good. But, uh, for the most part, I like Canada. Instead of writing yesterday, I spent the day researching uh, for this podcast, learning about Janelle Brown, who, uh, in mm. addition to uh, yeah. being a three-time novelist and New York Times best-selling novelist. Um, it's part of a, it's a founder of something called Sweet Eight. Oh, yeah. We should talk about in that. In Silver Lake in L.A. It's, it's, it's a smaller... Version um, of the Grotto. Version of the Grotto, kind yeah, of. Yeah, let's talk about so that. So we're going to talk about that a little bit. 
Because um, people, I, whoever you are, wherever you're listening, you could do this anywhere. You can do this anywhere. All you need is enough people who want to pay rent, really. It, you only have to start with three. That's how they started. Well, started I guess any amount could do a it. core of, yeah, three. But three is good because you have a little more money. Yeah, yeah. It's a more, yeah. It's an economy of Spread it around, yeah. So, oh, uh, yeah, that's good. So we want to talk about that a little bit. I, I also want to talk about, she did some journalism before mm-hmm. uh, segueing. I think she worked at Wired. She did work at Wired. And we know and lots she of Wired people. Salon. Oh, yeah. So at some point she made the decision to go, uh, you know, I'm not going to do this journalism thing anymore. I'm going to do the uh, fiction writing. So I want to How talk about How do you make that. a decision like that? Well, I sort of made the same decision, but not with the same sort of blistering success. So far. So far. I wonder how much she writes. We're going to ask her that. Yeah, let's find out if she writes, she writes 500 words a day. Anyways, it's time to go get her. She's okay. out there uh, getting ready, sitting there in her little interview outfit, and let's go. Oh, she uh, looks so good. <laughs> okay. Let's bring her into the grotto pots. So That's she maybe the difference between L.A. and San Francisco. I think we're going to talk about that, okay. too. Bye. Welcome to the grotto pod, Janelle Brown. I guess... I want to, st- you know, the, the thing that is, there's a few things that are standing out with me. I want to get kind of uh, nuts and boltsy. Oh, I'm we haven't mentioned it. her new book. Right. Well, we did in the intro. The new book is <laughs> no, uh, Watch did. Me Disappear. Oh, yeah, in the, our intro. Yeah, in our okay. intro, we did. Our, our professionalism I'll, is I'll off say the map. Watch Me Disappear. Thank yes. you, author of Watch Me Disappear, which has been out a month and it yeah. debuted at number 13 on the New York Times bestseller list, which is something you're going to put on your tombstone, I assume. Yes, I am. I actually got it tattooed a right t- on my shoulder. Oh, yeah. You, number 13. Well, you and should. if it ever changes, I have to like cross. <clears throat> if it ever changes, I love the optimism of that. Maybe it's just going to go up. <laughs> so one thing that's, yeah. that strikes me, and I, d- I did say I do want to get into nuts and bolts. I'm really curious about the shift that you made in the tone of this book versus your first two. Right. But one thing I want to talk about, because you know, a lot of authors we get in here, um, to be frank, don't deal with things like the New York Times bestseller list. What sort of layer of, I don't want to say pressure, but how does that change the expectations? Mm, it, you know, it does. It, it does. You know, you... You know, without getting to too much about how the sausage is made, you know, when you feel expectations from your publishers to do perform at certain benchmarks, it, you know, it's 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 a kind of pressure that that is hard to shake off. You know, you think, oh, I should be just happy that my book is doing what it's doing and don't worry about its performance. But you do. You worry about your performance. And when you feel very high expectations for it, then you find yourself obsessing over, you know, where is your Amazon ranking? How many books have been sold? How many events? I mean, I guess we all do that, really. I mean, who doesn't, no matter if your book sells 1,000 copies or 20,000 or Mm. 100,000. But, um, yeah, I mean, there is certainly a sense of expectation that that is weird and hard to hard to hard to shake. And how is that different for this book versus your first two? I know the first one was was it a surprise hit? Yeah, the first one was a surprise hit. Um, you know, what happened with that one is that it did well in hardback, and then it came out in paperback, and it really took off. Um, and so it was complete surprise at that when that happened. I mean, I, my publishers had had put a lot of weight behind it. It was, you know, I had a new imprint at Random House and when when they sold, when they bought my first book and I was their first big fiction debut of that summer. So so they, I knew they were putting a lot of weight behind it, but when it hit the bestseller list, it was kind of a surprise. And this one, which was what was kind of interesting was that I don't, when I first sold it to my publishers, um, and I have the same publisher that I have for my last two books, um, they're excited about it and they really liked it. Um, and they're like, yeah, we're going to put you know, weight behind it. But then um, internally at Random House, the, the sales team got their hands on the book and got really excited about so it. So that's how it happened because that's how it happened. I, was, I wondered how it could debut at 13 given that the book in between wasn't as strong as the first yeah. one. Um, it was it was people internally at Random House got really excited about it. And then what happened was you felt the entire Random House machine suddenly coming around the book. And That's that great. means that I got Yay. great things like <laughs> placement in Costco, placement yep. in, you know, 
end caps at Target, um, which, much <laughs> as I love my independent booksellers, that's right. not where the I was going to put my hands on my ears and say, I'm not hearing you. Yeah, hearing no, you. I know. I mean, I've, I did well. I've done well at Indie, you know, Indie Bound and stuff as well. But um, but what really moves books now are is mass mass merchandising. This like Target, Costco, Walmart. I mean, mm-hmm. That's also great. Yeah, it's all good. Yeah, it's all good. It's, it's all good. good. I have uh, my my one my one quibble, not with the machine, but with the reception. Is I do feel like some of the reviews and interviews give a little bit away. It's a thriller. What is it wrong with them? It drives me crazy. And just the fact that you don't even react is amazing. Like, you must have nerves of steel when someone asks you a question that gives it away. And Yeah, I mean, it's... it's 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 one of those those maddening things that I feel like I, I don't I don't want to draw attention to the fact that I, it's giving it away right. be, when when reviews give it away because mm-hmm. then people will really I know exactly right. exactly right. that's why I, I was saying we have to be so careful how we talk about yeah. the book because yeah. when you talk about a book like this you do want to talk about the whole book right right and yeah right we're not yeah. going to that yeah. okay. because people it's a thriller it's exciting it has twists and turns you're not going to expect. And therefore, you will want to read it. Right. <laughs> but let's talk a little bit about it being a thriller. Your first two books were not thrillers. Right. Um, I have not been able to read them, but I read reviews, and they're usually described as satires. You know, satire, black yeah. comedy. My agent, my agent called them Jonathan Franz and Light. Oh. That was her description. Franz and Light. <laughs> um, which. Uh, which is a pretty good way of, of capturing. I mean, like there's satirical domestic dramas with. But that's you know, interesting. So, families. so you're saying that when you get to a level where you're a New York Times bestseller, your books get elevator pitches. Yeah. <laughs> and your new one is like, well, it's like Gone Girl. Yeah, oh, I, no, know. I know. It's Gone Girl That's a great thing. I love hearing that. Yeah, of course. Is, even though I don't think my book really bears that much of a resemblance to Gone Girl, yeah, other than there's someone missing. Yeah. Well, but, that's um, it. Well, I think it's that. It's just a way of saying you're going to love it. Well, like, like yes, that's then, wonderful. That's if you great. liked Gone Girl, some people yeah. didn't like mm. Gone Girl. But, um, oh, really? There are very few because that book has done amazing. It's true. And yeah. We, yeah I, it has. But back to this idea of, of switching gears. Genre. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's funny. I didn't actually plan to switch genres. This was not a conscious decision that I made. I was actually thinking, oh, I'm doing another book about a dysfunctional family, dealing with some problems. And... And it wasn't, I wasn't even realizing that I was writing, you know, a mystery suspense until I was about halfway through it. And I realized that I'd set up this, this, you know, I was just kind of writing. I was like, and I'm like, oh, this is a cool that like, amazes scene me that I've done. it's a complicated plot. And then right. we'll see. But what happened is I realized about half, maybe, maybe a third of the way into the book that I was setting up a mystery. And I was like, oh, what am I doing? I'm setting up a mystery. What's the mystery? So What's it going to add up? So I had to go back. That's what I was going to ask. I went back. I went back and re-tore the book apart and rewrote it with a, with a different aim in mind, which was I have to set up a mystery and resolve the mystery and think about it in terms of, uh, you know, specific, I don't want to say genre motifs mm-hmm. because I didn't really think of it in those terms. But, you know, you when you're writing a mystery, things have to, you have to have clues at certain points. You have to have right. red herrings. You have to think about what's the expected, what will people expect here, and then try to invert, subvert those expectations. Did you have to go back and read thrillers or read mysteries? I did. Yeah, I, I did. would think so. I mean, I've, I've always been a fan of, you know, Suspense thrillers, mysteries. Like I read a lot of Tana French, and um, yes, one of your characters is reading. Tana. Yes, I know that was a little my little <laughs> nod to her. Um, you know, I've Megan Abbott. I'm a huge fan of Megan Abbott. Yeah. Like I like I, I like kind of you know detective fiction and mysteries and suspenses that are you know, more literary, kind of the literary side of that. Um, like I'm not. I'm, a lot of the thrillers, the big thrillers, I don't, I don't read like yeah. Aaron Slaughter or anything like that. Who's the? Uh, oh, Dennis Lehane. Yeah, I, you I know. Him, are those thrillers? I haven't read them. Detective well, fiction. They were detective oh, yeah. fiction. Right. Yeah. But I was going to say that now's a time when you can sort of blur the line. And yeah. He's a guy who has kind of crossed over. Now he's not writing genre fiction anymore. Yeah. Um, did you? So I literally just picked up his new one the other day. I was very curious to see it to read it because mm-hmm. I heard good things about it. So physically, how did you? How did it change the way you, know, you said you had to go back? But mm-hmm. how did what did you do physically to keep track of things? Are you a Scrivener oh person? Oh, yeah. Did you do post it notes? I tried Scrivener and I ended up being more confusing than my own convoluted system. I know. But they, I, they, they both sides. I think people either hate it or love it. Yeah. There's almost no middle ground. Yeah. I tried and I tried really hard to love it and it just didn't work for me. So I have. 
I have a system of, you know, I have a, you know, files that I keep. I'll keep a, a timeline folder, and I'll keep updating timeline, make new timelines. When you say folder, a physical folder? Like no, what? no, like at, like on my desktop. On your desktop, I, there's a folder that says book. And inside the inside the book, there's like folders. One's for like character work. Like I'll do character sketches. Things, sketches. Yeah. I'll do another folder full of um, timelines. I have to keep updating. Um, you know. Because especially with a book like this, timeline became really important. I thought about that too. Um, yeah. And then I'll do outlines, but my outlines are usually, you know, works in progress that change a lot. Um, and then I'll have a folder where I keep all of my kind of scraps of things that I like, things that I've written that I don't know where they're going to go, but mm-hmm. I want to keep them, so I kind of keep file. Then I have sticky notes. I keep sticky notes on my desktop. It it's kind like of a mess. <laughs> it's a mess. And, and then I and then I'll write. I'll write a draft, and if I make a major change, I will archive it and, and copy it and start a whole new draft, I mean, a new file with a new date. This is all very, like, you know. But is, no, but now nothing is, this, lost, has this been your method for all three books? Yeah, pretty much. Other than that, my aborted attempt at Scrivener. <laughs> And by the way, Scrivener, if you're thinking of, I know, of sponsoring still sponsor this podcast, us because lots of people love it. And I would, Brown do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the Grotto Pod. I bought, I bought it because my friends were raving about it, so it's just me. I have not used it, but I am willing to try. Yeah, I've been thinking because I'm actually working on something now, and I'm, I'm a short story writer, and I'm trying to write something a little zippy and a little mystery, and mm-hmm. I can't keep track. Yeah. I'm having the hardest time. Oh, that's right. I said that back in chapter one. Yeah. What was the name of that character? No. Now, one of the most interesting things that happened, what, which was very cool, actually, was my um, publishers hired a hired someone to read the book purely for the mystery and timeline that and making so sure it all smart. worked out. And he was good. He caught yeah. things and he, you know, that I had missed. And what do they call it? Like continuity or something? Yeah, continuity. But basically it's like mystery continuity and making sure yeah. that everything worked. I you love like, that. Yeah, it was cool. And did you find that – was it a different type of feeling? And, and I'm, again, speaking personally how I feel doing it, that writing something that's densely plotted like mm-hmm. that – it feels more like putting together a puzzle than writing a novel that isn't densely plotted like that or writing a short story. Like all these pieces have to come together and there's this kind of this rush when they actually do. do yeah, yeah. Like, hey, yeah. it actually works. Yeah. Um, I mean, my first two books are pretty plotty in too. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't that I wasn't used to writing a really plotty book. Plotty. Plotty. I like plotty that. Plotty book. Very plotty. plotty. Um, Not plotty. It doesn't plot. <laughs> it doesn't plotty. Plot, no. um, but this one had, because there's secrets that had to be revealed at certain mm-hmm. times and and not in necessarily in a, in, a, uh, in a logical order. Not logical. That was more the continuity. That's a word I'm looking for here. Chronological order? Chronological. Yeah, Thank you. Now we're talking. Good Big words. words. Yeah. Big we words. Sleep last night. <laughs> well done. I should not have had that whiskey shot last night. Um, <laughs> Hello. <laughs> we, uh, it was more complicated and really had to think about things. And so my outlines got a lot more convoluted this time around um, than my first two. But yeah, when, when it does all add up and it works, it's like, yeah. Did you have any points? You know, and when you're writing something like this, and you have secrets, and you're the only one who knows the secrets, you're the ultimate omniscient author. Right, but yeah. were there times when it, you'd find it getting away from you, and you had to stop and go back? Yeah. Yeah. You stop doing that. Yeah. You need to be doing this. No, I mean, I often find that the, my books, as I'm writing them, start going places I did not intend them to mm-hmm. go, and then you have to figure out: Do I roll with that and change things, or do I, you know, curb this? And go and back in the direction I was planning to go, and I usually try and roll with it because usually when when I'm writing something and it's going in a direction I didn't really expect, I, it's because I'm feeling excited. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like yeah. you're feeling something and you just kind of roll with it. And often what happens is that then it kind of comes and ends up working with even if it's a more circuitous yeah. route than I'd initially planned. Um, but you know. I, I had to rewrite this book almost from scratch like three or four times because um, I had three different endings. <laughs> oh, that! Oh after we're I done, know. I want to hear we what have the other to talk three about were. this. Yeah, because we've already uh, Larry and I have already discussed this at length. Cannot be discussed okay. now, okay. obviously. Right, but right. But just no, we have surprise. discussed the ending yeah. <laughs> at length. Um, so your background, and I don't want to get too 
bi- biographical. I was going to say bi- I was born bi- on a dark and stormy night. Yes. <laughs> and you're from the Bay Area. I am. I grew up. I was born in Stanford Hospital, actually. So Bay yeah. Area. Well, and if you go online, you can find pictures of you at your 20-year high school reunion. So I know where you went to oh, high school. Really? Yes, oh, really? Yes, you can. Yeah. Google oh is a fantastic God, thing. I have not seen careful. those. It's very nice. You look great. You okay. guys look great. Um, <laughs> but now you're really, you know, and you, you worked as a journalist. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess that's a roundabout way of saying, you know, how, how much of that journalist training did you bring into when you decided to write novels? And let's go all the way back. Yeah. What made you decide to switch? Um, mm. Okay. I always wanted to write books. Like I very young decided I wanted to write books when I grew up. And then I, you know, got practical and said I need to actually make a living. Um, yeah, and people always do that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Funny that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I worked at Salon and Wired back in the 90s and then through, you know, the early 2000s. And I really loved working at those two places, but I was got so burnt out on the constant hustle of mm-hmm. coming up with ideas, writing them, producing them, pitching them, whatever, a whole thing. And I knew if I wasn't – I was never going to write fiction while I was had a full-time job because I would get home from work and all I'd want to do was not write. Um, so I quit and I freelanced so I could write fiction. Um, but the reason I really – I mean I – I liked journalism. I learned things that are very useful for writing, like economy of economy of mm-hmm. of you know space storytelling, story arcs, like how to keep momentum up in, um, and you know basic reporting kind of stuff. Not that I use a whole lot of reporting in these books, but uh, I was just sick of telling the truth. I mean, honestly, like I was just I burnt that. out. <laughs> I was burnt. I telling the truth. I would write a story, and I couldn't. As I was doing a very reported story, I'd think God, it'd be so much better if this right. person had just said blankety blank or had done something else. That doesn't make, always stop people. I know. Well, you know, <laughs> it's good that you. I unfortunately I, I, I had uh, had been versed in enough why I should not be doing that. That's good. Yeah. But, yeah. And, you know, and, and when you said you were tired of telling the truth, it made me flash on an interview I read with you in, it was like Psychology Today or something. Yeah. You're talking about your characters who uh-huh. are, you don't want them described as difficult. Mm-hmm. No, unlikable is the word. Unlikable, right. right. Because difficult a, is fine. Yeah. Unlikable, I hate because that Because you went on to say that you had really devoted most of your young life to trying to be likable. Yes. I mean, I think, fit, I think we all do. I mean, right. yeah, I mean, I'm sure there are people who don't care about being liked, but I certainly never they're felt like, Maybe liked. the guys in Bauhaus. They're like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they care. They're like those mysterious people you've heard that don't care how they look. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah I've right. met one in I, my entire life. Yeah, okay, yeah. And it was very clear. But, <laughs> <clears throat> but as part of this, and you know, you kind of went on to say that these characters who are supposedly unlikable get to kind of live out these fantasies right. that you had. And is that tied in with the idea of being tired of telling the truth? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think I think that fiction is a way to, you know, as an author, writing fiction is a way to live out on the page all the things that you can't live in your real life, right? So if you're someone who wants to be liked and spends too much time worrying about what people think, you get to write the character that that doesn't feel what, or do any of those things. Great. Yeah. What yeah, exactly. What what would I do in this moment? Okay, what's the exact opposite of that and how fun would it be to do that? So it's interesting because I know that you're a mother mm-hmm. and um, a mother is at the center of this disappearance. Right. So is there a little bit of voyeurism of well, is voyeurism the right word? Not the right word, but like uh, living a, vicariously. Vicarious, yeah, oh, yeah absolutely. the naughtiness and the, I mean, I started this book right after my second child was born. Yeah. Um, and I, I told Larry that I had had those moments where when my kids were little where I would think I could just turn this way instead of that way and keep driving. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I and did have every thoughts. mom I know right. has an <laughs> impulse every once right. in a while. And dads too. Right. But what was the challenge of writing about a mother of a teenager since your kids are littler? Um, it was a challenge because – but It's a different ball It's a different ball game. What? Do you know any teenagers? I teenagers? have met a teenager or two in my time. Uh-huh. She was um, once a teenager. Uh, I know, but it's very like, – like I think because I have a child exactly – the a daughter exactly the age of the girl in this book. Uh-huh. And I thought you did nail some pretty – quite accurately. Oh, good. Some of the interactions, speech, obsessions of her class, uh-huh. et cetera. I did, of- I did a little research. I met a bunch of – I like hunted down girls who are that age group and went mm-hmm. to private schools, mm-hmm. um, private girl schools. 
Hills in L.A. Um, and had you know took them out for coffee. So I had yeah, recorded so them and oh uh, yeah, them. I can tell. I felt, and sense. I feel like there were some universal truths um, from the mother side that don't change as your kid gets older. And that right. was this idea of her feeling ambivalent about, am I trying to create a little clone of me? Right. Mm-hmm. You know, right. how much input should I have? Yeah. How much space should I give? Yeah. That really rang true. Um, so making the decision to write these complex and challenging characters, it carry, you know, it comes with a little responsibility too, because I got to say, in this, there were a lot of cases reading this book that I didn't like the main character. Right. And that felt kind of weird. So how do you kind of work with that? Knowing that you're presenting yourself with that, like, oh, I need to make people sympathetic for this character they may not like. Right. Um, I think the challenge is with creating a character that isn't necessarily classically likable, um, or rather, I'd rather, as I'd prefer to put it, someone who's difficult, is to make them, you know, you can make them difficult. You can make, you can... You want people to maybe not like what they do, right. but understand why they do it. And I think that's the trick. Like if you, if you can create a good unlikable character, and like again, I'm using that word that I hate so much, is one that you understand. A bad unlikable character is one that you just think, why are they doing what it's they like do? It's like Madame Bovary. It. Yes, exactly. Madame Bovary. You know, I w- could imagine having ended up like right. Madame Bovary, yeah. and mm-hmm. you can imagine. Being these characters, yeah. I mean, it's funny. I, I got, I hear from a lot of people who get to the end of the book and they have one of one of two reactions. One is I hate Billy, and the other one is I love Billy. Oh, that's interesting. And I actually got texts at like two o'clock in the morning the other night from two different friends who had finished the book the same night at two o'clock in the morning, not together. That one of them was like, "Oh my god, I hate Billy so much," and the other one was, "Oh my, you know, I love Billy. Is it wrong for me to love her?" And I was like, <laughs> oh, no. that's interesting. Yeah, because I think I think people it's love. Yeah, because people love her because she's doing things that they maybe feel but would never act on, and Mm -hmm. she actually acts on them. And so there's a – Well, I think you've set it up so that there's a lot of tertiary characteristics and experiences she has that I think a lot of women Mm -hmm. would think, yeah, man. Yeah. Yeah. That would be me. Yeah. I'm going to get multiple piercings and crazy (laughs) hair and be an eco-terrorist. Eco-terrorist. Yeah. Yes. So a little bit of flight to fantasy for uh, readers as well as the writer. <laughs> yes. Um, how long ago did you move down to Los Angeles? Fifteen years. Fifteen years. And did you go because your husband's a filmmaker? Or was it a uh, mutual decision? Yeah. You know, he moved down there to be in film. He, he'd he done two films in San Francisco. He did One, Groove, he which did I Groove. remember. Yeah. Yes, he did Groove. And then he was going back and forth to L.A. a lot and then decided he just needed to move down there. And we were just dating, actually, at oh. the time. And so, so as a born and bred NorCal girl, I what followed were your thoughts? my my future husband down yeah. to LA. I was ready for change. I'd quit working at Salon. Mm-hmm. Um, I was freelancing and just feeling like I needed something different. And I was to- had toyed with moving to New York, and then got as little, one does, as one does. And then he moved to LA, and I was like, sure, why not? I'll give it a try. What were your friends' reaction when you told them you were moving to LA? <laughs> Do we need to say People right now? People in San Francisco oh are so snobbish about LA. It's just so heartbreaking. And LA doesn't I don't care. Get it? Breaking through. Get it? People in LA don't understand why people in San Francisco are so snobbish. And anyone who's actually spent real time in LA is like, in real time, it's supposed to just like going down and hanging out for an hour or two in Hollywood. Um, it's a great place. I love it there. Yeah, I read a couple of interviews where you said not only do you love it there, but you find the writing community pretty supportive. Really supportive. And one thing that I think is interesting, I read about Sweet Eight, which yes. I do want to talk oh, yeah, about a little more. Yeah, let's talk about more. that. Okay, well, let's talk about the concept in a sec. Well, all right, let's just talk about it right okay, now. Okay, we'll get to my go. point eventually. Tell the world that knows the grotto about Sweet Eight. Um, well, Sweet Eight is actually inspired much. It inspired muchly, yes. inspired bigly. You say much inspired or as partially by the grotto. Um, you know, I came from here. I knew the grotto. I used to go to parties back in back in the south of market one. Um, the dog and cat hospital. Dog, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, the glory days. Uh, yes, the party glory days. But uh, when I first, after my daughter was born, a friend of mine uh, had a little office space. That she had rented out of someone out of a production company, and she asked me to share her with it with her, and then it kind of started growing from there. And then we outgrew the production company and got uh, our own space, and now we have like twenty 
five wow. or so writers. But I you don't have offices, right? We don't have. Well, no, we have. It's like it's a mid-century modern building. Of course, it's like an yeah, of course, <laughs> everything in all of it. Um, and we have like one big room with six desks, two two small offices with two desks, one with four desks, and then kind of a foyer with two desks. So it's, you know, it's a little cozy, much cozier than the grotto, yeah. but also a lot cheaper. <laughs> and also much hipper than the grotto. We're pretty cool. By the pictures. We're pretty cool. Yeah. Very, uh, someone. very lovely there. There's a little design work going on there. <laughs> we have some people with, with strong design sensibilities. I don't care how much design sensibilities you have. You could not transform the grotto that much. Though no. we could probably make a gesture in that direction. I don't know. We got a lot of people. We got a lot of um, windows. We have good windows. Yeah, you got and good that lights. really helps. Good yes. windows. Um, and and we live on a ship here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But a couple things that stuck out to me about Sweet 8 that differ from the grotto. First, it was founded mostly by women, which is sort of flipped uh, from the grotto. Right. But also, the grotto, yeah, there's journalists here and there's fiction writers. And there, I think there's one or two filmmakers. Mm-hmm. Poets. Poets. We but you have, have a lot of screenwriters, uh, television writers, all people. I mean, it's, of course, because it's, it's a LA. company town. <laughs> company town, yeah. But yeah. how does that impact? I mean, do you think that either by osmosis, by conversations? I mean, this – you're – as I said, I've only read your latest book, but it's pretty cinematic. Right, mm-hmm. right. It's a pretty movie writer. And I know it's already been optioned by Gotham. Gotham Group. Gotham Hooray. Group. Hooray. Yeah. Yay. Um, and, you know, they asked me if I wanted to, to adopt it myself, and I said no. And I thought you, about it. Do you know how to do that? I, I actually I wrote, a, I wrote the screenplay adaptation of my first book with my husband, which got optioned and then never got made. Yeah. But, um, but this time around, I thought better to leave it to the pros. But yeah. I know people who have done that. And you know, I think that is when you live in Los Angeles, there is much more of an ex- – of a well, – it's not expectation, but um, much more openness to different form. Mm-hmm. A lot of people are both writers of screenplays and also books and maybe memoirs. Like I have a friend who's done all – who's doing all three. I have a friend who's a graphic novelist and a screenwriter. Um, cool. And it's a little more like there's a little <coughs> bit less um, pigeonholing, I think, in in terms of in the community of like what you think you are and what you have to be, which is nice. So and on inside our inside Sweetie we have all kinds of people doing all kinds of stuff. And it, yeah. So how is input yeah. that you would get from a screenwriter? about your novel different from input you'd get from a novelist about your novel? Um, well, I think the input from a screenwriter is much more story-based. And That's they're really That's pe- pe- great. Yeah. It is great because they think, you know, the art of screenwriting is really the art of scenes, right, that add up to, uh, you know, putting, moving scenes around and, and making the narrative flow story plot-wise work, right? So they're really good at plot. Um, and economy of storytelling. Um, so that's really useful when you're thinking about it's, you know, it's a useful when you're thinking about a book. I mean, unless you're writing something much more nebulous and freeform and experimental, mm-hmm. but from my kind it's of writing. It's still, I mean, well, scene is the, storytelling. Yeah. That's, you have the, who's the guy, the book that you have in your office that you showed me the first time I made? Oh. This is my Bible. Oh, now Robert, you're outing me, Robert McKee. Robert yeah. McKee. But it's yeah. changed my life. Yeah. It, because I don't have an MFA. I didn't study mm-hmm. storytelling. I didn't really know. I just wrote and it was very hit and miss. Sometimes yeah. I'd come up with something great and other times I couldn't figure out why something didn't work. I didn't know. Yeah. And so studying screenwriting helped me a lot yeah. in terms it, of understanding. It's really useful. It's a really useful I, – I, I never got an MFA either. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, you know – self-educated. So. But I read Robert McKee mm-hmm. um, when I moved to L.A. because <laughs> I'd never heard of him before. And, uh, <laughs> that's what you do. And it's really useful. It's about, you know, you think about story instead of just thinking about prose, you know. What, what, right. Yeah. And one of the revelations to me with that book, it references movies, mm-hmm. but to realize that a lot of the books I loved that I thought of as plotless mm-hmm. are actually plot-driven. Right. Mrs. Dalloway, you want to know what's going to happen. Right. Honestly, you right. do. Yeah, right. I, I remember the revelation when a screenwriting friend told me, just wait till minute 30. Right. That's when everything's going to change, which, which actually, I'm a little more left brain than I care to admit, and that really appeals to me, because you, you know, the way people break down screenwriting, it's almost mathematical. Yeah. You oh, know, very bang, mathematical. Bang, 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 bang. Yeah. This happens here, this happens here. I'm like, yeah, all right. Yeah. But that has totally helped me 
scene by scene mm-hmm. to, I mean, even something as simple as something has to change. Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah. I was just caught in description and in yeah. mood. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, I do have a graduate degree in writing and we didn't talk about story a whole lot. I mean, yeah. it was like pretty, pretty prose. Right. Yeah. But yeah. it's good too. Both are great. Yeah. But yeah. best of all, we have them both. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. yeah. But Hooray! So. <laughs> Congratulations! But it does that seem, helps. It helps you get a bestseller. It does seem like my son is trying to write screenplays, uh-huh. and he's like, well, "It's okay. Wait, be careful what you say right now. You can listen, yes. He, I will read them, and I will say, "This doesn't sound like people talking." But I will also say, "Oh, but I see you've got an actual story here. Right, right. Like you've got a real story, and, and you can hire me to write what people sound like talking. Right. But being able to actually tell a story yeah. that works like that—that's the part that you can't invent. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's exciting when it happens. I mean, when you were talking about things falling into place, and I'm sure when writing a thriller, having everything fall into place is an amazing Rubik's cube of satisfaction. But I feel like that with every piece I write, when mm-hmm. it all be- falls into place. That click where you're like, oh my god, right. it really does work. Right here, it's all here. It's mm-hmm. there's no better feeling. Yeah, you have those those moments when you're like, nailed it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Ooh, I'm they're awesome. rare. They're rare, but when they happen, they are amazing. Then you wake up the next day and hate yourself again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us, since we're just sad little writers and poets in a little <laughs> tiny closet, um, once something you write gets optioned uh-huh. and has, and you're not writing it yourself. Mm-hmm. How easy is it to let go? And to what degree do they let you be involved? Well, it's a good question. I don't know yet. Yeah. <laughs> because, um, you know, they're talking to screenwriters right now. And they have said that they want me to be heavily involved as like, you know, an executive producer and advisor to the screenwriter and so on and so forth. But we will see. You know, right. you'll see. Right. Like, I... Things can go sideways. These go sideways all the time. And ultimately, like, once someone picks it up and pays for it, it becomes theirs and not yours. And there's a certain letting go that I think has to happen. But I, in a way, I feel like that's what happens when you publish a book anyway. I mean, the minute you put a book out there in the world, other people are picking it up and making it their own. And everything. Yeah. You have to, you you lose, you lose a piece of, you lose ownership of it by publishing it. So, Having someone else take it over and make a movie out of it is just the same thing on a slightly larger scale. Especially when you've written a book where people have very strong opinions about the main character. Right. But so being in L.A., um, and this may sound like a naive backwoods question because it is. From the backwoods of San Francisco. (laughs) From the backwoods of San Francisco, uh, which is a provincial town. town. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I'm not arguing with you. What sort of capital is there to having your book option or is it just every day once you know now you're not just a new york times best-selling author you're someone whose book may get made into a movie and i'm guessing from the people that bought it it probably will get made and they don't deal in in piddling little movies right well you know it's a long long road between an option and a film so i think that working with them the odds are much more in my favor than had Mm. you know maybe someone else but um, but I am not going out and like buying myself a Maserati tomorrow because I'm going to have <laughs> yeah. a huge Oscar-winning out, uh, movie. Um, I uh, I don't you know I, I, certainly living in LA there's a lot of um, there's a lot of weight put on being you know being part of that world, mm-hmm. but. You know, I'm pretty divorced from Hollywood, honestly. Like, mm-hmm. I live in Silver Lake, which is full of creative professionals, but we, you know, we have a handful of, you know, modest stars, but right. we don't really. It's so far away from the machine of Hollywood. So you just run across Polly Shore walking down the street every day. <laughs> <laughs> no, but we did have we did have a couple of celebrity parents at our preschool. Nice. Um, but nice. Um, but nice, I say, as if celebrities aren't nice. <laughs> lovely, lovely celebrities. <laughs> Not that um, kind of celebrity. But yeah, I mean, I, I don't feel like I'm I'm part of that but culture. Even- so, and all my friends that are writers are writers first, and you know, maybe they've had a book option, or maybe they're adapting screenplay as well. But I don't, I don't know. It's hard. I don't know how to answer that question. I guess I'm babbling. Well, it would seem like in Hollywood or in L.A. It's there and it isn't there. Right. You cannot, you know, it may not overtly be there, but as, you know, my 
again, my son was down there this summer doing an internship, and he said, what I love about it is every single billboard's about a movie. Yes, this is true. <laughs> it's true. And that's the kind of thing that you don't you stop thinking about. It. It's just kind yeah. of there. Yeah. It's like this noise in the background. But, you know, my world is much more about, like, books and magazines than it is about movies. How does that intersect with your husband's world? Well, my husband's now uh, working in advertising. Oh. Um, so he directs, he directs a lot of uh, commercials for entertainment industry stuff, so he's doing a lot of stuff for HBO and Netflix and FX and stuff like that. So we intersect a little bit um, in terms of feed, giving each other feedback, <laughs> but I don't. I don't know. How, I, don't, I don't know that there's like a ton of give and take between the two. So interesting, um, and that would be good because I guess then there's no competition between the two. Yeah. Yeah. Which is good. But there's also the nice thing that there's a little bit of synergy. Like it is nice that he understands what you're doing and understands yeah. and supports. Well, it's all storytelling. We're, we're, yeah, exactly. we're, both, we're both trafficking in stories, different ways of telling stories. One of the things I love about L.A. is it's a great art town. Yes. There's so much fantastic art. Yes. And maybe you have people in your neighborhood who are also artists. Tons of artists. Yeah. And um, that is how L.A. is more like San, um, New York than San Francisco. Yeah. And I always wonder about that with San Francisco. It's not that there aren't artists. There you guys want to bash San Francisco? They, they, they but they I'm all, up for it. I'm, I'm not actually pushed out like 15, 20 years right. ago when the first got com boom, right? Yeah, but they got pushed out. But there were artists making art. There wasn't – but there still wasn't the – the culture around art that yeah. there is in places like, by which I mean a way to become middle class or upper middle class as an artist, which there is in L.A. Yeah. and in New York, has been very difficult to come by in San Francisco well, ever. It, yeah. it kind of seems for creatives in L.A., there's not as much of a rule book. Yeah. No, I completely agree. And that's one of the things that's really exciting and wonderful about Los Angeles is that – a, it's, it's a more affordable place to be a creative of That's any amazing. stripe, to be yeah. an artist, to be a writer, to be the, a filmmaker. More affordable than New York or than here? What was that? More affordable than New York or than here? Both. Both. Oh, my God. Both. I have no idea. No, it's a big place. Way more, I put it this way. I just spent $7 on parking for an hour in front yeah. of your building. <laughs> in L.A., that would cost a buck. So just well, saying that park it if, for you, you. if you had to park at all on a meter because there's a few parks. But, um, but yeah, yeah, Valley. Oh, oh, but, uh, but, you know, it's just right it's, a, it's an affordable place to live. It's much yeah. more sprawling. Um, and the arts, and it's there's so much there yeah. that you can find your people really easily, whether yeah. you're an artist or musician or a filmmaker or a super, you know, fringe poet, you know, there are your people. It's true. It's and, true. It's, and it's big enough that you don't, because I would think that it'd be competitive mm-hmm. to the hilt, but it's big enough that you can find a little subgroup. And I mean, I, like my, I, like my community of writers that I know, and I know a lot of writers on, uh, in, in just the west, the east side of Los Angeles, um, we hang out all the time. We're all friends. We all support each other. Someone has a book come out. We take them out to dinner. We have a celebration. We we're like, okay, everyone Instagram their book this week. Okay, who is Facebook? Well, Facebook, you know, like we do that too. The, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, it's, I it's love super the writing supportive. community in San Francisco. Do, yeah, and it's it's fantastic. Does, does Sweet Eight do classes? No, we've talked about that, but no one really has. I, the <laughs> I saw there's another app, but I, I didn't write down the name. That's enormous. I think it's on the west side. I don't write it down oh, either. the 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 one. Yeah, I, what is I forget um, what it was called. Right, if you Google it, there's also a church with the same name. The Writer's Room? Not the Writer's Room. That's no. the New York one. Um, I but. know what you're talking. The Library. The Library. The Library. That's it. And they have Waffle Wednesday, which I thought was so We don't have Waffle Wednesday. Wednesday. Okay, but the Library, if I'm correct, I think the Library is like you get a membership that yes. go in. you, you don't drop have your, in. Yeah, you it's, don't have an actual sh- desk. What do you call that? A shared space? Shared space. So it's less of a community. Yeah. yeah. That's what it sounded like yeah. to me. Like cre- trying to create a community, but not yeah. necessarily coming, mm-hmm. beginning as a community. Yeah. And exactly. have you heard of, I think it's called Writer's Block? This sounds familiar. It's another West Side thing. They, they meet yeah. once a week. They don't. I don't think they have a space that you can go every day. It's a right. once a week type of deal. No, I don't know that one. Um, so... Have you started book number four? I have, which is good because I'm under a contract to finish it Ooh. really fast. Oh, so, so um, explain the, the the thought process that goes into this now that you've spread your wings a little bit and now you've written a thriller and uh-huh. you've written some satire. I still forget some... every time people call it a thriller. Thriller. <laughs> How it is. Really? I know. I never really think I of mean, it as a thriller. I mean, it's not like born identity thriller, but it's definitely 
Yeah, I mean, I always think edge of it more. Seat, kind of. I, I always think of it as just a literary suspense, but like oh, they, okay. that, that's why I've been calling it like, oh, literary suspense. Okay, yes, I did uh, not realize that is a thing. So that is what it is. That yeah. is what, yeah, yeah. You but but they they keep selling it. Random House keeps selling it as thriller. part of a thriller. Gone and like, girl. They're like do big thriller, get big summer thriller giveaways, and it's oh. me with like you know, <laughs> so that's Karen Slaughter and Ruth Ware. Oh, and, but like, that's good. Yeah, and, yeah. and is that a, good. Is that a feeling of ambivalence when someone says it's a summer read? Oh, Are you cool yeah. with that? Because I think you could read my book in the winter too, in the dead of and winter. it would be I totally think it would be fine. fine. It would be fine. I mean, you know, the the term "summer read" is one of those slightly condescending it terms is. Is. that really bugs like me. <coughs> Not as bad as chiclet, but um, or women's fiction, which is the, what they call it now. Um, but it does kind of suggest like, <laughs> oh, your book is light and doesn't need to right. be taken seriously. Right. I can doze off, read a few yeah. pages. You but, cannot read a few pages. But you no. know, you'll, you'll I, I I read summer reads. My summer reads range from. I mean, I read Colson Whitehead. A yeah, weeks ago. That's nice I will like, say my idea read. of a summer read in my own mind is a big thing I can't tackle during my regular life. Mm. Like I'm on a plane for six hours. I want to read some. I, I can right. take on a bigger book. Right. Um, but that's probably not how everyone thinks of summer reads. I guess, you know, if, if you want to be, like, take the positive Swiss spin, a summer read is a book that you are going to find fun to read, right? Yes. That's the suggestion. So as in, it's, it's not, not going to, like, spinach. it's not hurting your head, yeah. hurting your, <laughs> your brain, yeah, too much. Hey, I have a question before we talk about what comes next. Uh, the, the husband character. Mm-hmm. Jonathan. How hard was it to get into his head? Yeah, because he's POV. And to think about yes. what a husband's going to do. Um, You're not a husband. I'm not a man. But no. you know what? what? For centuries, people have been inhabiting characters of the opposite gender. Right. And, and no Madame one Bovary. Said, no, that's appropriation. Anna Karenina. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I my I wrote – I this is my second book where one of the two main characters has been a man. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've had to inhabit the POV of a man. So you interviewed teenagers. Did I, you interview I men? spoke to men. I yes. met a few men. You come across you men. Talk, men. I met some men. I spoke to them. And for you. Um, it was hard. Yeah. It was hard. And in that an case, ad. do you say, you know, what would you do if your wife disappeared? No. Uh, I just uh, I just <laughs> conjectured. I just conjectured. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think any character is hard to get into at first because they're not you. And whether they're male or female, you know, or somewhere in between, yeah. depending on what you're writing. Well, I don't know if you were trying to, to get this, but the sense that he felt that he was riding a dolphin mm-hmm. was really clear. That he was hanging on for dear life. Right. You know? Well, good. That he was in over his skis. <laughs> I, I, in over his skis. <laughs> I've never heard that phrase Me, before. I, I like, like it. it. Yeah, yeah. You know, oh. Yeah. But it seemed like it was always a real fragile thing for him. Right. You know? Yeah. He was a trick to write because you had to write. I had to come up with a character who... You know, was kind of like naive. He was a, a, yeah. a, a naive grown-up man who plausibly would like refuse to see things he should have that seen. That was very believable. I think that could be anyone. Yeah, I yeah. mean, that's the part of the book where you're like, oh, yike. Yeah, really. I think I did. I think I might have told you this, or I, I told. Oh no, I told a friend who's a YA agent. I said, um, it reminded me in a terrible way that. Do we just tell ourselves stories about yes. our life and about other people, mm. or do we really know them? That's exactly the whole theme of the book. Exactly, yeah. but yeah. it's a reality. Like, it's how totally much reality. of my happy marriage is just a story I tell myself right. because it's an awesome narrative, yeah. and it's you, the narrative that I want it to be. Of and course. So therefore, I project upon it. Yeah, I mean, how many people do we know exactly. whose husbands were cheating on them for you know years and years and years, and they had no idea, yeah, or exactly. whose wife was secretly like a raging bitch and they pretended that she wasn't because it wasn't convenient for them to see I know see someone that. whose husband died of a heroin overdose. Yeah. Whoa. She had no, no idea. idea. Yep. No but idea. In, if you look at it from like a bro standpoint, like <laughs> oh, of, please. of course one. he was in over his head. He right. was like a nerdy little good boy yeah. who yeah. impulsively married this woman because she was nuts. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Because that's what Are you he, offended by nuts? No, I'm afraid you're going to give away a plot point. Is she nuts? I don't know. She's nuts. I meant nuts as just sort of a oh, general. Oh, out there. Like, oh, like eco-terrorist Compared nuts. to his world, she was nuts. <laughs> oh, yeah. She was yeah. like the and crazy she girl. Was, oh, yeah. She yeah. was, like, yeah. she oh, was okay, the yes. compelling, dangerous woman that he right. was never right. supposed to go be with. And, right. 
They you usually know. don't end up marrying. I, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. The way you, you know, have I've been sex there. with I was a good girl who wanted to be with a bad boy, so I got that, you know. Yeah. yeah. And would oh, ignore the fact that they boy. were... What? Your husband's a bad boy. My husband boy. was not the bad boy. I uh, married the nice guy. I never well, he did make a movie about raves. So he was, did. You know, he's a rave culture. It's like reality bites. She should definitely have gotten together with Ben. Yes. What's his last name? Ben Stiller. Ben Stiller. Ben Stiller. Like... Even though I was about her age in that movie, and she picks Ethan Hawke, I'm like, dude, you picked the wrong guy. And he's that's supposed hot. to be the right. He's so hot. But Ben yeah. Stiller was, like, funny and yeah. nice, and you know that Ethan Hawke character is going nowhere. But those are the bad choices you can make in your 20s. You're yeah. not supposed to marry yes. Ethan Hawke. Right. Yes. He, As Uma Thurman found out. Yes. Hey. <laughs> he's in a nice, stable relationship now. To a cousin of a friend of mine. Oh, really? Oh, really? Oddly enough. Isn't yes. it scary how much we know about people's personal lives? Yeah. So is a we can know thing. this about Except Ethan Hawke. Arms twitching at four o'clock in the morning. I know. <laughs> That's why Larry had no sleep last night. But did you? But it was bad. But you're fine now. You're here. You're twitching. vertical. Here I am. Yeah. Okay. One more podcast to go. All right. But enough about us. Let's talk about book number four. <laughs> book number four. Whatever um, you can say. I okay. My general rule of thumb is I don't talk about books while I'm writing them because Smart. I find that as I write them they change. I don't want to and, talk about the book itself. I want to talk okay. about the challenge of book number oh, four. Okay, Coming let's go meta. And the successful process. Book. Right. And if people are hearing about you for the first time now, they're like, oh, Janelle Brown, writer of thrillers. Right. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. Well. Suspense. Suspense. <laughs> Literary suspense. Literary suspense. Um, Genre-busting. <laughs> Genre-busting. Um, well, I put it this way. My publisher specifically asked for another book in a similar genre. Mm-hmm. So, in the literary suspense In the literary genre. suspense genre. Are you cool genre. with that? I am. You know, I think, I think that... I, I've, partly because I've been immersing myself for the last right. couple of years in suspense, like both that I've been writing one myself, but also I read a lot of books mm. and just to know what else is out there and to think about the form. So I'm kind of already in that headspace anyway. And my feeling is I'm totally happy. Like the, the idea that I have that I'm excited about, um, uh, was, you know, part inspired by, things I was reading this last year. It's always like that. I love that. Yeah. yeah. And so I'm ex- I'm totally fine writing another suspense. You know, maybe after that I'll go something different. Mm-hmm. But um, If they let you. If so, they let me. <laughs> Larry and I have been lamenting the fact that we've both been traveling for the past couple of weeks. We have not been writing uh-huh. because we've been traveling. Yeah, sounds Tell familiar. us about your process a little bit. Okay. I wake up, I drink coffee, yeah. I procrastinate. Yeah. I drink okay, more same, coffee, same, I procrastinate. So more. I'm going to have a seller too. There's, there's kids I hit, involved. I, hit, I get the be. kid out the door. I panic at two o'clock in the afternoon because so I go pick him up. Um, no, I, I, I go to my office. My, my process really when I'm in the groove is I go in, I read what, after I drop the kids off at school, I go back to my office, I read what I wrote the, the previous day and use that as a jumping off point for writing. And, that day, I try to write a thousand words a day. Bam, Ben, and then words. and then, but you know, try being the operative word. Know, there are an awful yeah. lot of days where I have fifty words on the page, and then mm. there are other days when I'm really in the zone that I'll write three thousand, four thousand words. And those are the days when I'll like wake up in the middle of the night, like three o'clock in the morning, with your like, arm twitching. Well, not with the arm twitching, but with the brain twitching. <laughs> like I can't. I have insomnia anyway. But like if oh, I'm in, yeah. if I'm in the book and I'm really like in it and excited, Do you keep I something will, next to your bed. No, I just get up. Oh, you just get. I up. just get up. Ooh. I go. I, I make some coffee at like three, four oh, o'clock in the morning, with, and then I'll write until the kids wake up. What with kids, do you do that? A zombie what, doesn't it wake yeah, them you have up? To be a zombie. I was always I terrified of crystal meth. She has a secret drug addiction <laughs> that her husband way. doesn't know about. There might be a novel in that. No, actually, it was my first novel. Oh damn! That's right. Sorry, I haven't read them, but <laughs> the sounds good. First novel had a crystal meth addiction addic- uh, oh, addiction in there. That sounds tempting. It wasn't a crystal meth addiction <laughs> that is yet to be released. Yeah, be- you read it super fast, <laughs> and you get skinnier. It's awesome. But your teeth fall out. It's um, coffee, coffee, and but right now when alcohol. you're I'm assuming the book has not been out very long. You must still be promoting. Yes. Are you writing yeah. now, or do you keep it on hold? Um, well, ironically, I was supposed to have st- like my kids started back at school last week, and I was. The plan was drop him off at school and go sit down and start writing. Yeah. And then um, I got distracted by, I don't know. Best 
Florida. <laughs> I was going to say Trump, but um, oh. you know, oh, we were just talking about uh, the world breaking apart around me. So, I, and I'm also kind of at that point where I'm I'm still more brainstormy really than I am in mm-hmm. writing mode. So I drove actually from LA to here Ooh. rather than flying because I thought because I know that when I drive I think well, You're so it gives me no. I just think yeah yeah, and it starts if you think about things obsessively for hours they start to cohere. So I was basically using the drive to here and then back to L.A. as like a little 12-hour like oh, – So for you, love that. for you writers out there, uh, the point you're making that Janelle's making is you may not be writing a thousand words every day, but you're always working. You're always thinking. Yeah. I mean because I, I, I don't – when I write, I write really fast. <clears throat> but I don't always write every day because what I'm often doing is thinking. And the mm-hmm. thinking, a lot of thinking – then transforms into suddenly I know what I need to do and then boom. Boom. Yeah. Yeah, I tend to riff like that too where sometimes you're writing so fast your hands can't keep up. Yeah. And then the next day. Nothing. nothing. Yeah, I mean (laughs) I will go months without being able to write sometimes if I'm stuck and I'm just not feeling it. Um, I was like that after the book came out. I found it really hard to concentrate. I was so distracted. Yeah. Well, I mean I I turned my book in a year ago. Um, like I guess when once all was said and done, it was like October or November when I was done with all the edits and everything. And I really didn't write from November until now because yeah, I was I exhausted yep. and depleted. And then also in full time, like stress about the book coming out. And right. I also wrote a lot of like personal essays to promote the book yeah. and all that kind of crap, which I hadn't not crap, but I hadn't done a lot of for a long time. So it took up a lot of brain it's space. daunting for sure. Yeah. Yep. So now I feel like my I'm clear, and I should sit down and write. And do you have an extensive book tour? This 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 is pretty much the last leg. Of oh, it. really? People don't do extensive book tours anymore. I mean, unless you're unless you're like you know George Saunders or Zadie Smith, who gets like huge crowds everywhere they go. Mm, right? It's hard. Yeah. I mean, she's been traveling. Oh my stop. god. But, you know, they're getting paid to do that. Right, exactly. That's completely <laughs> and, different. Yeah. And people are willing to pay to see them. Like, right. I have done very well in this book tour. Like, I've had a lot of people in, in the room every time I've done an event with one or two exceptions. Um, but that's because I'm going to crowds where I know, places where I know right. I can grow mm-hmm. a crowd. It is – I remember in L.A. going to an event with an author whose book had been – a massive bestseller. I'm not going to name names. Massive bestseller. Um, it was her first. She, it was her second book, but it was huge. And this was her third book. Had was coming out. It was everywhere. And uh, I, she had a reading at Barnes and Noble, and there were maybe 20 people. In really? Yeah, this is what happens. And yeah. half of them were her friends because she was from LA. Right. And I was like, whoa! If she I can't think that happens crowd. all the time. That's, so I don't want a big book tour. Yeah. And then the opposite happens where. If it's just the right community, you're blown away yeah. by who comes out. And Indiana. So, right, exactly. I went to Indianapolis, right. and man, those people were great. There were like 75 people in a room, <laughs> and I did not know one of them. It's the well, same. I was just at the that. Chautauqua Institution, and it was like 70 women yeah. just showed up. Wow. It's the best. It's one of because you're glamorous writers from California. Well, I also think it depends really? on the place you're going. If you're going to a place where there is not a lot of people, people there. come there, that's it. Yeah. As my publicist was saying, she's like B market. B markets are uh, are Ooh. really good for for writers who aren't hugely famous. Mm-hmm. I agree. Plus, and those people read. Yeah. Everyone reads. Everyone reads. Mm-hmm. Not a, like you don't, readers are not confined to L.A., New York, Austin, and Portland. You know. Seattle. Not at all. That's interesting, though, because I was going to say you probably could just promote in L.A., and there's so many people there have pretty good sales, but I guess it's backwards. Yeah. I mean, yeah. We are out of time. Oh, my goodness. And already? I think we're almost Which out of Which is good air, because too. we don't want to kill Janelle and create <laughs> someone else's literary suspense. Has anyone, have you accidentally killed anyone in this closet? It's actually accidentally? A, it's a no. fear. <laughs> it's a fear of mine. Here it is, right? You faint, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. fall backwards in your chair. And then the door gets locked forever. The door is closed. People try it. They're like, oh, the door's locked. I've already fainted. Larry <laughs> and I, we we're, can't get to the door in time. We faint as well. No one actually knows we're in here. We die. This is a good book. This right. is so, a book waiting to happen, or at least a short story. If this oh, is yeah. the last Gronopod now, you'll know why. <laughs> Say, Janelle Brown. But if Larry uploads this and you've not heard from Janelle nor I again, You'll come looking. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but let's say you do survive this podcast and people want to uh, go to your website. 
It would be going to www.janellebrown.com. That's J-A-N-E-L-L-E-B-R-O-W-N. Like the color. Like the color. Or versus Board of Education. Yes. <laughs> uh, how about Twitter? Uh, Janelle B. Janelle B. I was there very early. I know. Early Doctor. Oh, damn it, Larry. You and I have dropped that ball. Oh, BQ, uh, you have soldiered through this podcast with a terrible cold. Why don't Do you... Do I sound sexy? How about you sound like... It's like doing a podcast with Kathleen Turner. I'll take it. Uh, <laughs> let's say people want to get a hold of you to hear more. What would they do? Uh, Larry, I'm glad you asked. Uh, they could get a hold of me on Twitter or Instagram, late adopter, at Bequintrust. Because Bridget Quinn in with all its iterations was taken ends. with two N's. I did spell it wrong in the past, but mm, it does but that was have an early ends. podcast. Yes. Go As back and listen. For me, Twitter and uh, what's the other one? Instagram? Instagram. Instagram. Uh, that, Larry Rosen. Uh, my other podcast, as always, is Is It Good for the Jews? If you'd like to hear that one. As for us as a unit, the Grotto Pod. Oh, we need to thank our producers. Lori Ann Doyle, Beth Weingarner, and Lee Kravitz. I hope their feelings aren't hurt that you have to write it down every week. I have to just in case I You say forget. Lee Krasner? I call Lee Kravitz Lee Krasner. Or Lenny Kravitz. <laughs> or Lenny, I was going to say. Or Lenny yeah. Kravitz. Uh, but I've done it on air at least half a dozen times. So you can find us at The Grotto Pod on Twitter or Facebook slash Grotto Pod. Please go to iTunes. Mm, yes, go to iTunes. Subscribe, leave some comments, uh, talk about the size of the room. We're fine with that. Tweet on, tweet on us. No, tweet at us. That is all <laughs> for us. BQ, us. last week I had to take us home myself and I stumbled over our little La- motto. Larry, so you have show to me know our motto. Done. This is so important. You need to be like Janelle and read, write, and just keep working. And she does. She does. It's awesome. All We're right. Psyched.